everybody, and welcome to a review, a breakdown, an analysis, a reaction to the Jets' loss at the New England Patriots 10-3 last Sunday. I'm recording this Tuesday afternoon, and, you know, we had a couple days to kind of process this loss. We had a whole Monday of press conferences with some interesting things said by Robert Sala. And as always, we're going to go through our keys of the game. Uh, from the preview episodes, you can go check that out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or iHeart or wherever you want to find your podcast. Once we go over that, I'm going to talk about you know what we heard from Salah and them on Monday, and we're going to talk a little bit about you know what we could possibly see come Friday when that preview episode comes out. Because who knows, a lot could change in those couple practices leading up to Sunday's contest against the Chicago Bears, which is also. Darrell Reeves' Ring of Honor ceremony. So hopefully the Jets don't shit the bed um, on a day where a Jet great is being honored for his amazing career as a New York Jet, even though he did win a Super Bowl ring with the dreaded New England Patriots and Tom Brady. But we're going to forget about that. All right, so let's get in the keys of the game. Let's get off the board right away. So as a little refresher, if you don't remember... My first key to the game, my first key for the Jets to beat the New England Patriots last Sunday, which sadly they did not do because of a miraculous and gut-punching and, you know, kicking the balls of a punt return by Marcus Jones, just one of the 20,000 Joneses that the Patriots seem to have on their roster. It's always some mythical shit, some mystical stuff for us to lose against New England. It's our 14th straight loss against them. And even if we won, Bill Belichick would still, you know, own us. But that was just a painful way to lose, especially for how well the defense played. And we'll get into that. So my first key to the game last Sunday was to stop Jacoby Myers and Ramondre Stevenson from having any kind of meaningful impact. Because they made up the majority of the Patriots' offensive production. And I'll say the New York Jets defense heeded my advice or at least saw the same things that I saw when I rewatched the tape of the first matchup. The defense did a great job. Myers and Stevenson had no touchdowns. Ramondre Stevenson totaled 82 yards of total offense. And Jacoby Myers on six targets had four catches for 52 yards. Now the both of them had two pretty big plays. Myers had a 20-yard reception, and Ramondre Stevenson had an 18-yard catch and run. But overall, the two players are pretty much non-effective. I mean, the New York Jets defense was smothering. And I'm going to talk about the Jets D-line now instead of in the trenches portion because I think the offensive line needs to be prioritized in that trenches portion of the show. But that Jets D-line did an incredible job. Six sacks, eight quarterback hits, limiting Ramondre Stevenson to only uh, 26 yards. No, not 26 yards. I mean, 82 yards total offense. He had 56 in the air and not a lot on the ground. Whatever the difference is between that, I'm not going to do the quick math right now. But that Jets D-line was impacting the game in all sorts of ways. They were finishing tackles at and behind the line of scrimmage. They were pursuing to the ball well. They were gang tackling. 
Michael Carter to second, even though he did give up a couple receptions to Myers, did a really good job in coverage, and he also did a great job in run support as well. Let's see here. Look at my uh, my game film notes that I just that I just watched. I mean, just the amount of stops, you know, the, with those chunk plays that the Patriots had. Big play to Myers, the big play to Ramondre Stevenson, and just, you know, the field position they're able to get. Jets had four stops, five stops. Jets had five stops in their own territory and only allowed three points. That's a great game. That is a great, great game. And... Obviously, the Patriots' offense is not a juggernaut by any means, but they're an efficient group. Their play calling is always excellent. They put their less skilled players in positions to succeed all the time. And the Jets' defense, bend, they bent, but they did not break all game. And they kept the offense in that, in that contest all day. And the offense let them down, but we'll get to that in a second. One issue I did have with the Jets' defense and was something I really harped on in the preview episode was the missed tackles, especially on guys like Ramondre Stevenson. Now these, now the Jets had 10 missed tackles all day against the New England Patriots. Not all of them were on Ramondre Stevenson, but one play in particular. The Jets had a first and 20. And Mac Jones threw a little check down past Ramondre Stevenson. And Kwan Alexander, who's a great tackler, tackler and has been a great addition to this defense. Um, he was added midway through training camp. Is one-on-one with Stevenson, makes contact with him with his outside, with his inside shoulder instead of his, with his, uh, yeah, with his outside shoulder. But he doesn't get his head across Stevenson's body. He gets it on Stevenson's butt. You could visualize that, and misses the tackle. Stevenson then, you know, it's just him alone. That one tackle got him 20 extra yards. There was another play as well where Stevenson broke two or three tackles and was able to get a first down on a situation where if the Jets just made a tackle, you know, two or three yards after contact would have been fine, but they kept missing with lazy arm tackles and trying to hit stick people with shoulders. Now, the Jets' defense is a physical, it's a young group, it's a violent group. So they're excited. So you have to expect sometimes for them to give up a big play. And they did. But overall, I don't want to harp on the bad things the defense did because I thought they were tremendous. And they did a really good job of stopping the Patriots' two best offensive players all day. So first key was successful. They just couldn't get the last two to work out. Well, let's see. The second key I had was cherish the rock. For Zach Wilson not to turn the ball over because his three interceptions against the Patriots and their first matchup doomed the team the whole game. It doomed them. The Jets would have won if Zach Wilson didn't have two of those three interceptions. With one of them, I think the Jets could still win that game, but with three, the Jets had no chance. And Zach Wilson had no turnovers. But for having no turnovers, I don't think I've seen a quarterback have a worse game. And he almost had two interceptions. The first one... Yeah, which McCord he is. I believe it's Devin. Dropped probably the easiest pick of his life. Zach Wilson had terrible footwork. Tyler Conklin was open over the middle with like six, seven yards of separation, and somehow Zach Wilson sails it over his head. 
right in McCourty's hands. And yeah, I mean, that's why he plays defense. He can't catch. So Zach got away with that one. And then he had a throw to Mims in the fourth quarter towards the far side of the field on the sideline on a comeback route that I believe was one of the Joneses. I want to say Jack Jones. Broke on the, planted his le- right or left foot in the ground, broke hard on the ball, and he dropped the interception. Now, maybe the throw was a little late by Zach, but at the same time, Denzel Mims does have to come back for the ball there. He can't just stand there and wait for the ball to come to him. Because that's what every defensive back wants. So most likely, if Mims does come back to the ball and make a play on it, it's either incomplete or he catches a little short of the first down, but maybe he could break a tackle and make a play. So really only one of those almost interceptions was Zach Wilson's fault. But for a game where, you know, he threw for under 77 yards. Oh, my God. He threw for under 77 yards. I can't believe, like, I laughed because I can't believe I said that. Like, you just don't see that anymore. It's like watching an Army football game. You know, it's watching watching the Army-Navy game, seeing that little passing yards in a football game. Especially a professional football game. And, you know, he wasn't, he was pretty conservative. Not a lot of deep throws down the field. Didn't take a lot of chances with the ball. And with that game plan, I mean, that's why I didn't turn the ball over, but those two chances where he almost did. I'll say it's a success because he didn't turn the ball over, but he really didn't put himself in any positions besides those two throws, you know, that really risked, you know, put him at any risk. And now the last key to the game, which is always a key to the game and will continue to be a key to the game forever and ever and ever. I know you guys are probably sick of it, but it's the trenches. And I spent the Myers and Stevenson part talking about the Jets' defense and their defensive line. They were phenomenal. Great all game. I want to talk about the Jets' offensive line. Partially this is on Zach Wilson, but two yards of offense in the second half. You know why it was two yards of offense, even though the Jets did have some positive plays? Four sacks, six quarterback hits allowed. Four sacks and six quarterback hits. For a quarterback that has, I mean, it seems like the the Patriots have a big piece of property in Zach Wilson's head. There were throws he made where bad throws happened where he wasn't under pressure. But still, he was kind of hearing footsteps, if you understand what I'm saying. He seemed rattled, even by all the hits and the sacks. It still gets to a quarterback. It gets his footwork out of whack and... Eventually, he stops looking downfield at open guys, and he's looking at the line in front of him. But overall, the offensive line got out physical. In the run game, they rarely got to the second level. They could not hold on to their blocks. They weren't driving guys off the line of scrimmage. And that's why, minus Zach Wilson's uh, runs during the game, they only had 33 yards of rushing offense. And the Patriots' defense is great, but so was the Buffalo Bills' defense. So was the Denver Broncos' defense. What other ones do we have? We ran the ball well. The Packers defense, even though they're not good, is still a really good front seven. We just could not run the ball. And that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable because, as I've been preaching all year, this team is a run-first team. If we can't run the ball, the rest of the offense is not going to work. 
33 yards rushing, four sacks, and six quarterback hits allowed. And two big reasons to why, you know, we allowed four sacks and six quarterback hits and only had 33 yards rushing on the ground was our left and right tackles, Dwayne Brown and Cedric Ogwehi. I really hope I'm saying your last name right. Um, obviously, you're put. Obviously, these two guys were brought in late because of injuries to Makai Becton, George Fant, and Elijah Vera Tucker. So it's hard to criticize this group with all the injuries that it had because if they had those three names I just said, I don't think we'd be having these issues. But overall, the left and right tackles were slow. They got overwhelmed in pass protection. They quite couldn't either hold on to their blocks or even make the blocks on running plays. And they were just, I mean, the Pats D-line was just better. They had better players, and they took advantage. I mean, the Patriots never brought more than six guys. Maybe they brought seven guys once. But it just looked like, at least from the tackles' perspective, and also uh, our right guard Dan Feeney filling in for Nate Herbig, they were just overwhelmed by the ferocity and physicality and the skill that the Patriots D-line has. They just got bullied. I mean, McDermott didn't have a great game. Not McDermott. Van Roten didn't have a great game. Neither did Lake and Tomlinson. They were just slow, off the ball, were not physical at all, and could not hold on to blocks. It was just a really upsetting performance by an O-line that performed so well against a great Buffalo uh, front seven. And in a game, too, where it's incredibly windy and very cold, perfect conditions to ground and pound and just play some good, hard-nosed, old-fashioned physical football, they miss an opportunity. They miss an opportunity. And, you know, a big reason to, of to why I think Zach Wilson struggled, besides, you know, maybe his own lack of skill, which, I mean, Jets Twitter right now is a very dark place, and the NFL media is, you know, calling for this kid's head. And partially he deserves it, and I'll get to that. But the offensive line let him down. They really let him down. They weren't able to get, you know, positive runs on first and second down, leaving Zach to throw on, you know, third and eights, third and tens, etc. Receivers have to run longer routes, developing routes. And the Pats D-line took advantage of a very injured and old and slow Jets offensive line. Now, overall, the headline's kind of going into this week. I mean, Zach Wilson, I mean, that's that's the biggest one. So, is he going to start on su- Sunday? Does he deserve to start? I mean, Zach Wilson clearly showed a lack of accountability and leadership. Connor Hughes, who has really been picking on him ever since that first Patriots game, uh, really had a field day criticizing Zach Wilson on Sunday and Monday, and he's going to continue to until, you know, he's either benched or continues that, or maybe has a turnaround performance of some kind. You know, when asked, and everyone knows this by now, when asked, does he feel like he let the team down, the defense down, Zach said no. That was it. 
Just know. I think anyone knows, even Pop Warner kids know, you just can't say that. you got to put it on you. You're the quarterback. You are the lightning rod as much as Robert Sala is the lightning rod of the team. And Sala agreed. I mean, I was really glad he addressed it on Monday. I mean, he said, you know, he wants to win, but can he be better? You know, in front of the press and so on, he said, quote, yeah, of course he can. But overall, Salah wanted to emphasize that his comments were not indicative of how he felt about the team, etc. You know, he was asked as well, why not bench Zach Wilson? Because it's not all on the quarterback, he said. It's a global thing. It's a team thing. And he quotes, that actually said global thing. And it's true. As I just said, the Jets' offensive line let him down. The Jets' run game led Zach Wilson down. Now, Zach Wilson missed a wide-open touchdown pass to Denzel Mims early in the game. Yes, he missed a wide-open Tyler Conklin and almost threw it to Devin McCourty. Yes, Zach Wilson underthrew Ty Johnson on the sideline. All those things did happen, but Denzel Mims also dropped a first down. He was also sacked four times and hit six times as a quarterback. He also had 33 yards rushing. On 19 carries. So as much as Zach Wilson was terrible, and he was, and I really don't want to make any excuses for him, and I don't think I am making an excuse for him by saying that he played terrible, and the whole offensive line played terrible as well. I think it just all chalks down to the Jets had a poor game plan, and not only did they have a poor game plan, but they executed it poorly. Now, I didn't think a lot of their play calling was too bad. But the game plan overall needs to change, and I think Robert Sala understands that. But of whether or not to bench Zach Wilson going forward, and this has been the talk of the town, every Jet fan wants either Mike White or Chris Trevler. I've heard people talk about bringing Joe Flacco back up. Do the Jets win that game with Mike White? Probably not. Do they win with Joe Flacco? Maybe, but I think the offense struggles just as much. Now, Salah did say, quote, everything is on the table regarding Zach Wilson's status as a quarterback. So I guess it all depends on how this week of practice goes. And, you know, we'll continue to monitor that situation. And hopefully by Friday, we have a clearer picture of who that starting quarterback is going to be. I mean, we are playing the Chicago Bears, who have one of the worst um, scoring defenses in the NFL. So as of right now, I'm going to say Zach Wilson will start on Sunday, perhaps with a short leash of some kind. Similar to a Tua-Ryan Fitzpatrick situation last year and the year before that. No, it was actually just last year. Or maybe a Bailey Zappi-Mac Jones situation like we saw a couple weeks ago. I don't know what's going to happen. And the little people really that do know what happened knows that's gonna what's gonna happen is in that room. Is that one jet's drive? It's just frustrating to me at least to hear people talk about like we're six and four, man. We got seven games left. He's in his second year. Pat Mahomes didn't start his first season. Obviously he had great success, but he also had Andy Reid. Zach Wilson has a second year play caller. 
and his quarterback coach died tragically. And, you know, the guy that they have being their quarterback coach now spent one year as a quality control guy in the NFL and another year at Wagner University. So is Zach put in the best situation? Yeah, he's put in a pretty good situation. Joe Douglas did everything he could to put great talent around him. Now, three of his starting offensive linemen injured. One of the most dynamic running backs we've seen all year and a potential Rookie of the Year candidate, Bryce Hall, done for the year. Corey Davis, very reliable run-blocking receiver and one of Zach's favorite targets, has not played the last couple of games. Now, those are excuses for Zach Wilson. I'll admit those are excuses. But he and the Jets need to find a better way for him to succeed. Because for as much as, you know, this whole rebuild process is, has gone, and it's gone very well, Zach Wilson looks like, and so far has been, the weakest link of this offense. When he doesn't perform well, the offense struggles. It, it just pains me to see that Jet fans want to have this dysfunction of Bentram, Bentram, cut him. Get rid of him, even though he's still on a rookie's contract. Like, stop. That's the dysfunction we've been trying to avoid for so long. And he's got seven games left. If he continues to shit the bed and be terrible and, you know, miss screen passes and, you know, throw balls at guys' feet or float balls over guys' head that are wide open, sure. But this is a new low for Zach Wilson. This isn't like... He's been able to bounce back before having some of those crappy throws during games. This is the first super low we've seen from him. I'm still going to hold out hope that hopefully they can figure this out. Let's, Jet fans, let's avoid the dysfunction. Let's stop calling for people's heads. Let's have some faith. Let's, let's as Joel Embiid said, let's trust this process. He may very well not be the guy. But he's our guy right now. And I don't think we have that much better chance to win with Mike White. But then again, only time will tell. Maybe we'll see. Maybe Mike White, as the coin, as foretold, will take over after a loss to Chicago, take us on a huge winning streak, and we'll make it to the playoffs. Who knows? Coin was right again, by the way. And thank you at Nooner Nation too for the t-shirt. It was really great. So hit up his Twitter at Nooner Nation, buy a t-shirt. He just dropped those. They look pretty cool. Just a shameless plug there on my end. A shameless plug. But overall, great guy to talk to. Good Jeff fan. He deserves it. And so deflating. Just a really deflating way to lose. And everything, you know, when things couldn't, couldn't go wrong on that punt at the end, they went wrong. I said in the reaction show, if the Jets win 6-3, maybe this conversation isn't as drastic. Zach Wilson doesn't get benched. Or at least people aren't calling for his head. I think it's still more of a concerning thing. And, you know, it's a result-driven, it's a result-driven league. It's a result-driven media coverage. But so far, I think the Jets organization has handled this well. Zach Wilson has not handled it well, but I don't think he's a bad kid or a punk or anything like that. I think he was just upset. I genuinely think he was just upset. 
And for a game to lose 10-3 and to hit on two out of the three keys of the game, I mean, that's just, it sucks. It sucks. The suffering continues, as always. No turnovers, but, you know, poor, you know, poor throw after poor throw. You know, an inability to run the ball on the offensive end. I just ran into a really good Patriots defense. I want to make sure I give them credit as well, but we've been running a good defensive all year and have had more offensive success. Just the freaking pass, man. I can't wait until Bill Belichick is gone. I cannot wait. Man's been tormenting me for the last 22 years of my life. Tormenting my teams, my quarterbacks. And and as a funny reminder, today, Tuesday, November, I don't know what day it is. On Tuesday before Thanksgiving is the 10-year anniversary of the butt fumble. Pretty funny how this tragic loss, this embarrassing and pathetic loss, comes 10 years, nearly 10 years to the day. After one of the most embarrassing, haunting, and, you know, if you're not a Jets fan, hilarious plays uh, in NFL history against the Patriots in front of a national audience on Thanksgiving. Oh, God. I, was, I mean, I was there. It was, no one knew what happened. It was so bad. Like, did he fumble into an ass? Yep. Mark Sanchez fumbled into an ass. Jeez, we're, see, us Jeff fans, because of things like the butt fumble and all the bad quarterbacks we've had, we're a very sensitive group. When things go well, we really don't know how to take it. We, we don't have trust that things are actually good. When things go terrible, it's the end of the world, and we just want to wipe the slate clean and get it all over with. So to Jeff fans everywhere, I know it's tough right now. But we've been through a lot worse. We have seven games left to go. And hopefully this team can just end the suffering.